let's start off with a prayer oh sahana bhavatu sahanau bhunattu sahaviryam karavavahai Good morning, good evening and welcome. So give me 30 seconds. I will pick up this summary for last week's GD and we will quickly summarize that and then we can sorry I hadn't picked up my notes and kept it for last from last week all right there we go so uh, the last Last week, we talked from uh, shlokas, we continued our discussions, shlokas 2.62 to 2.67. And uh, uh, I think we started off by saying, uh, you know, a, a, an observation from Swami Paramatthananda, which says that, how do you measure a state of calmness? State of calmness is measured when our mental attitude goes off from, you know, exclaiming what to a particular situation to so what to any situation. That's the, you know, I would say the measure of what, 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 what uh, the state of calmness that we can measure. So then we also discussed about uh, how the, how the ads uh, appeal mostly to the emotions and senses and not intellect. And I'm not sure how many of you have done this uh, scuttlebutt approach research, looking at the TV ads to see how many of them, how many of them actually appeal to your senses and to your emotions. You should check it out once. Uh, then we talked about, uh, 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 you know, uh, the Raga, Baya and Krodha. Raga is the attachment for the future and Baya, sorry, Raga is the attachment for the past and Baya is for the future, what is going to happen and, you know, we have that fear of, of the future and Krodha is anger in the present and that is a beautiful uh, uh, Raga, Baya, Krodha uh, summary in terms of attaching it to the time time zone time zones time zones of past present and future that we talked about then uh, we also talked we also connected that to uh, a name in vishnu sahasranamam called bhuta bhavya bhavat prabhu which uh, which is a lord of the past present and future which is basically someone who is above raga bhaya and krodha that was very beautiful uh, we spent a little time on uh, what is what comes first desire or the attachment and the conclusion is that uh, desire is an outcome of the attachment to what we have as the as the attachment keeps developing the desire becomes much more stronger and then that starts coming out into this particular world as actions and thoughts and words till that time the attachment is not very strong the desires may be dormant but they may not be you know sprouting into actions or words then we talked about the ladder of uh, downfall and uh, uh, in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, what is the one thing that is going to break us out of that particular loop and 
then we uh, agreed that discernment, the power of discernment or Viveka is the one that would break us from the loop. Where would you start? You know, it's, it's a cycle in any case. So we could start, uh, we could start anywhere, wherever, wherever we struggle with. But at the end of the day, it goes back to likes and dislikes and attachments and, and consequently to desires. Uh, there, was a, there was another interesting part about uh, 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 Langanam Parama Aushadam that we talked about. Langanam means fasting. And an uh, interesting interpretation that Krishna mentioned was uh, fasting at the thought level, speech level, and action level. The action level, in this case, we're talking about food, for example. Uh, and there's another beautiful statement which, which said that mind is your servant and senses are the servants of the servant. So whose servant are you? So that's a very interesting thought, thought-provoking thought for us to think about, you know, whose servant are we and who is our servants? Uh, then another beautiful one which talked about uh, Shadarasa and Navarasa. Navarasa standing for the nine emotions which you could see in any uh, dancer's performance. My, my daughter is a dancer. And Shadrasa, all of us know what are the Shadrasas, the six emotions that we all of us display. And uh, uh, it beautifully, Ajay connected it to saying that, hey, Shadarasa, Navarasa should collapse into Ramarasa, which is that single source of uh, uh, you know, energy and uh, truth that we have to collapse all, all, all our, all our uh, uh, emotions into. Uh, we spent a little time in terms of Kama, Krodha and uh, Moha and uh, we, uh, we tried to figure out whether, you know, what is the cost for, for each one of them. And we said that the desire that is thwarted gives rise to anger and uh, uh, desire seen uh, manifested in somebody else gives us jealousy or uh, when we don't have that particular uh, thing, what we desire for, that gives us, that gives us to greed and when when we start getting getting what we want, and that give, leads us to arrogance, and that arrogance leads us to delusion. That's the complete cycle of 2K and M3. We also spend some time in terms of uh, the cause and effect. I think I just just now described uh, described that uh, the cause and effect. So I'm going to skip that. Uh, then there's an interesting perspective which came up. Okay, hey, you know, all all the time we've been talking about. Uh, expectations from getting objects. What about expectations from relationships? And uh, it was very beautifully articulated. There were two beautiful uh, uh, examples shared by Vidya and I think it was Shamala, where uh, we talked about expectations not met gives rise to anger. And, and that is also some sort of an attachment. And that was a, a very a, a beautiful example uh, that we talked about. Um, then we concluded that Shravana, Manana, and Nididhyasana, basically, that's the path for, uh, for us to um, you know, get on to the, the, to realize the goal, the spiritual goal of who we truly are. And that needs Shama and Dhamma. Shama and Dhamma are basically control of the mind and control of the senses. And uh, Nididhyasana was likened to digesting of the food. Basically, despite the fact that you know, uh, you know, we can prepare for cooking food, and then we can cook food and then keep it on the dining table and still even eat, but the body has to digest it. So the same Shravana Mananda Nididhyasana process is exactly like that. Um, you can listen to as many things as you want to listen and you can keep on clarifying your doubts and everything. 
That's all at an intellectual level, but at the end of the day, it has to be assimilated. The knowledge has to be assimilated within our body, just as the food has to be assimilated within our body to give us our strength. So um, then I think we kind of, you know, talked about, I do not know if, you, if, if we concluded this on that, this on, on this topic or not. We started talking about how do we think about rituals? Are rituals really required or should we just go the pure jnana, jnana route? And uh, I remember, I think uh, it started off with a question by uh, Ajay saying, hey, you know, the people tell, tell me to do this, do that, to get this particular thing. Is it good, good for me to do it or should I completely not do it? I think the perspective was that there's nothing wrong for a Gruhastha to do and to get, to, to do, to get something. Absolutely fine. But the word of caution that, that was used by somebody else was that, you know, you got to do it in, in the perfect way that it has been described. For example, if someone wants... Uh, a child, Putra Kameshti Yaga was, was an example as he used. You've got to do it in exactly the way it's been prescribed. If you don't do it, then there are there are certain consequences that come about, which could be unintended or unintended consequences. So uh, the, 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 the way that you could, you could think about this is rituals, as long as you do it to purify your mind, is much, much more effective, not just in getting what you want, but even in getting getting onto the path of dharma and getting onto the path of realization of who you truly are. So that's where I think uh, we uh, uh, concluded in the last week's GD. And today we are going to complete the rest of the slokas, I think says 68 to 72. And next week uh, we are going to do the entire summary of Gita. So I'm going to stop here and request anybody else to add what I have not covered in the last week's uh, summary. All right. So with that, uh, the usual format, anyone can pick any uh, aha moments from the shlokas, what we have read, and then we can kick off this GD. All right. So... Uh, Maybe you know I will I will pick uh, a couple of things which I uh, I enjoyed reading in these particular slokas, right? So if you go back to uh, maybe we should go a little slow on this because I made a few connections and we got to go back and forth on some slokas. So sorry, Krishna, I took uh, your uh, task of connecting some slokas this this week. Uh, not that I I, I mean to uh, take your take your job, but I just love this, so I thought I'll bring it up. So in two dot four six. You know, I try to connect the various similes and metaphors that, uh, you know, uh, Krishna uses and uh, try to connect. So the, the, the similes and metaphors that we talked about was water, that I want to talk about is water and related to water, right? So in 2.46, he talks about, you know, uh, small bodies of water that can satisfy a people, person's thirst. And the small bodies of water become irrelevant when you see a huge... Uh, lake of water, right? So likewise, he that's one part of the, one one simile. I'm not going to explain what the simile means in terms of the kyan part of our this thing, but let's talk about the similes. Then in two dot fifty a, he continues saying that. Uh, uh, so uh, you know, uh, just as the tortoise withdraws its limbs to make its wisdom steady. And tortoise, remember, is a uh, sort of a, a water animal. That's the connection that I made. 
and uh, uh, it withdraws its limbs to make its wisdom steady when, when it sees the sense objects as get attached to sense objects. And from there, he goes on to 2.69, which is the last but one uh, shloka, I mean, uh, two, two, three shlokas before, we, before the chapter is concluded, where he says that Yanisha Sarvabhutanam Tasyam Jagarti Sanyami, where he says that, that what is day for everybody is night for, night for uh, uh, a man of perfect wisdom. And what is night is day for the uh, man of perfect wisdom. So basically what he says in this, in this simile is that, you know, when, when common people uh, hanker with the sense objects, the uh, Jnani does not go behind them. And what Jnani goes behind, uh, behind, the common people don't go behind. And then the final last one is, uh, uh, because the Jnani does not go behind all these, all these things. So despite the fact that the, that the sense objects are in, in front of him and everything, all the temptations of the world are in front of him, he, he just does not bother because they, they could be flowing into, into him as if the rivers are flowing in, into the ocean. But the ocean is always full. It doesn't matter to the ocean whether a river flows into it or does not flow into it. So I love this connection in terms of the, the metaphors of water that uh, you know, Krishna uses and how he connects all these threads. Hey Rajesh, beautifully said. Uh, one more water connection is the Vayur Navamambasa. So if you are like, it's a negative thing. So if you are on the water and you are not controlled, then you just go wherever the wind takes you. Beautiful one. Yes, I agree with you. Sorry, uh, there are a couple of, uh, you know, explanations I, I kind of picked up on 69 on the on the night and day thing. Uh, and one of them was that, you know, as uh, ignorant uh, beings, we think uh, day is, uh, you know, we, we understand day and it is kind of everything is visible and uh, we can see everything, etc. Uh, whereas we are ignorant, we actually cannot see the ultimate sort of, uh, you know, uh, truth. Whereas the uh, Ajnani, sorry, the Jnani is actually in night, but he actually knows uh, everything despite not seeing uh, anything around him because he's focused entirely on the ultimate goal. Uh, so that was like one interesting sort of way to look at it. I know the, the example in, in, the, in the shloka is more around the owl and the, and the human, but this was an interesting perspective that even at night, the Jnani can see it and even during day, we cannot see it, right? Uh, so that was a very interesting one. The other one was that, you know, uh, you know, the jnani, uh, the jnani cannot see it during the day, uh, and there was a connection with uh, Vishwarupa Darshan, right? And saying during the day, the jnani cannot see it because it is just so bright, it becomes invisible to the jnani or the or the common person, right? And kind of it draws uh, an analogy with the whole Vishwadrupa Darshan that Krishna has uh, twice in the during the during the Mahabharata. That you know during the day you know we cannot see it because it is just too bright and therefore beyond sort of our uh, you know there is limitation in terms of what we can see. So I found both of them quite interesting way to think about it. Beautiful. That shloka is pretty deep. I have seen many interpretations. For that one. So the other one, of course, is the that they see Brahman everywhere, 
whereas we see uh, normal objects and the the flip of it is what uh, is called the night and day it's completely opposite when there is day there is no night and so on so they just see brahman everywhere the self realized folks and the other one so that's another one i have seen and with 60 you know 69 through that 70 70 172 beautifully brings that if one sees brahman in everything then he is uh, you know ekagrachit or whatever you can call and he is so established that even for one second they can see uh, he is blissful that's what we are trying to achieve but it's beautifully you know depicted in 69 then 70 71 and 72 but the good news is uh, what is uh, commonly what is common knowledge for the masters where they see brahman everywhere is is the goal that um, that that that's the practice for the spiritual seekers so we have to you know despite the fact that you know we don't see night and dark as clearly as night and dark but we see the multi shades of hues everywhere we got to for, force ourselves you know fake it till we make it to look at it as the brahman way and then you know one day it will happen uh, another connection which i heard was uh, in uh, mandukya upanishad um, the world is false because of drishyatva because you can see so anything you can see can't be you so because you can see it is it is impermanent it is uh, mithya so that's why during the day because you can see that means whatever you are seeing is mithya <laughs> <laughs> so you don't really see any reality whereas at night because you can't see the drishyatva is not there so no impermanence is there right so so that is how the gyani sees it then so i thought you know that was a great connection to mandukya especially to the karikas here actually to elaborate on what vidya was saying how it lists all the characteristics of uh, the person it was very beautiful like wherever we earlier saw us like a point to overcome or to bear nirmamo nir ahankara so those are all like the normal thing that where we say i am doing something or i am doing for this small group of people uh, the self realized person the brahmi sthiti is like he doesn't do anything and one more thing also i kind of see the advice uh, cranked up a nice notch is nispraha so like earlier it will be matra sparsha like it all happens because of the the sense contacts so titikshu and he will say toms titikshasva bharata please bear with it so that was like the advice for the normal person but for the self realized person they don't let it even affect so what i mean they go from the what to so what so that i thought was like a, the same spraha word but very beautifully contrasted for like a normal person learn to bear it and then in the middle of it it becomes look at it with samatvam but for the uh, self realized person it is it doesn't even bother me anymore so actually the same one jagrati used in um, 69 so when it says uh, jagrati for the enlightened being he awakens from the ignorance so and the same word jagrati for the unenlightened being is used as to you know to gain things for pleasure and you know our needs etc you get up during the day so 
the same word is used differently in the in both senses yeah Oh, the desires was the other uh, nice word, kamakami. That means one who longs to desire, desire to desire. It's not yeah. even like one thing that we straightly desire. I have thirst. I want to drink some water, but it's like after some point, the mind goes into this loop where we desire to desire. I want this new thing, so it will give me something else in this multiple redirections of desire. Actually, yeah, that reminds me. You know, the this the, the session that I'm doing there. Uh, Uh, vairagya is defined as you know getting rid of the longing for the objects so that that longing is is what we need to get rid of you know krishna's point you know so in 71 uh, you know professor vk differentiate between that kama and dispraha so he says that you know you do <clears throat> you desire for something and you get happiness out of it and then you don't stop there actually you want to now uh, you know you have a desire to maintain the happiness so you know so that uh, and then that's how the loop that you are talking about goes on <laughs> so it goes back to the same question right so should we not should one not desire anything at all desire the more i think yeah and is i think also in in 71 like uh, what you're asking rajesh should we not desire any anything and i think in 71 he, he says nirahankara means to me it looks like that false ego so the desires are coming with that false ego that that we have right so when you say should we not desire i think we should not have that false ego um and then hopefully that samatvam will come that that's how i see it so sorry the way i sorry go ahead go ahead go ahead go ahead when i was going to say uh, you know i've kind of struggled with this desire thing and we've all kind of been discussing it over several discussions but uh, the three things sort of that sort of uh, are in my mind now is one is that desire for the ultimate is fine uh, the second is that uh, you know you you have to kill your uh, little i the ego uh, because that is the cause of all kind of problems going down and then the third one which again i think somebody else, somebody mentioned in couple of gds uh, back was as long as the desire is for a larger good uh, benefiting more people uh, i think what uh, vidya you called nishkama karma or nishkama desire uh, that is uh, that is that is okay that's actually uh, actually totally fine so that's how i kind of rationalize this in my mind for now Uh, obviously there are other aspects i'm sure so but still you know if i want to desire you know a mercedes car is it bad it depends on what you want right so it's not right or wrong <laughs> you can want a mercedes that's fine but if you want the highest goal of liberation then yes it is it can be a hindrance because then all your energy will get dissipated in getting that that car yeah so it's not a right or a wrong question but depends on what you eventually want yeah yeah no i, 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 I think because that, that's that's how i'm also thinking because at the end of the day you know uh, desire for liberation selfless desires and even selfish desires are okay as you know as long as we recognize that this is a selfish desire it's still okay and you know it's not wrong 
Rajesh, can I uh, say something? Can you hear me? Sorry, uh, Kishore? Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, we can yeah. hear you. Sorry, I'm outside, but that's why. Um, uh, one, one thing, one just wanted to add a point there. So our desire is okay. Like if you want a Mercedes car, is that okay? I, I, I feel there is one litmus test here. Uh, one which is um, that is, is that desire causing an emotional turmoil? I like, are you connecting your emotional well-being to that desire? If you feel that until or unless you have that, it's, you're not going to be happy. Is, this, is that causing that longing, that, that uh, craving uh, and causing emotional uh, distress because of that? And, and those are the ones that eventually we want to give away. Because if it's causing that, then that desire is probably something that's going to bind you. Um, so uh, converting those, getting over that, transcending those eventually would be the goal. May not happen immediately because those desires need to fall off rather than being suppressed. Um, but then we discussed that where, you know, having a higher, higher level desire and also knowing that, hey, at the end of this, so the discrimination part comes in where um, we can see that, hey, let's say I, I do get that. Is this going to give me happiness? And uh, is that happiness going to last for a long time? Asking that question, that is the discrimination aspect of it. And knowing that, hey, um, there is a higher goal that I'm uh, where there is the, the real happiness comes from a higher goal, setting that as the goal. Those two things will eventually help to uh, dissipate that desire rather than suppress right so the emotional well-being being connected to it which is the attachment to me would would be an important part uh, whether that desire is good or not well said i've got three hands raised vivek so so it, it's about um sort of echoing what kishore just said it's about the awareness of how you know the mechanics of how desire comes about and the consequences of that. I mean, you know, you talked about Mercedes. I'm, I'm struggling with meat, hamburgers, right now. So, and 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 you know, today I'm doing my delayed chaturmasa along with uh, with with Gun. So let's see how it goes. But the process is, you know, mentally, eventually. I mean, I guess you know somebody will go for that Mercedes and what it does. Yesterday I was at a at a uh, something called the Financial Times Weekend Festival. They have it an annual day. So they, you know, the newspaper has launched a a financial literacy program, and and one of the one of one of the leaders of financial literacy, uh, it was was talking about his experience of indeed a Mercedes. He he bought a Mercedes uh, to impress a impress a girl that he was interested in, and that didn't lead anywhere good. Uh, you know, so it's those sort of it. It for me the word awareness has a lot of meaning in in relation to uh, putting desires into perspective but that doesn't necessarily mean the desires evaporate instantly uh, but that awareness loop um, of, of origination of the desire and and the and the conclusions or, or the consequences uh, that eventually has should or have you know will have and that's that's how Karma stopped getting accumulated. I guess that's that's my understanding of this. Well said. Well said. Uh, Sri. Yeah. So I I agree with the uh, Kishore's statement he made that uh, desire is quote unquote acceptable if it is something beyond you for a higher cause, 
um, and also, for example, uh, I see a lot of uh, realized souls who go out of the way to help their common, uh, to their help their brethren, help their thing. That could be they care for their uh, material uh, benefit for others, not for themselves. For example, um, was, I was watching a thing about uh, Dalai Lama the other day, and he was talking about desires. And he obviously came from a Buddhist concept there, but he was saying that desire for saving somebody else from trouble is acceptable desire. And uh, on a similar note, I don't know whether you guys have seen a, a program called Upanishad Ganga. It came on TV and it's on uh, the TV series. If you haven't, I would strongly recommend that. It's a beautiful, we uh, explain uh, Vedic concepts in uh, stories and so on. And in one episode, they had, uh, they showed Vidyaranya, who was the spiritual teacher for who reestablished um, the Hindu rule during the Muslim conquest in southern India and the Krishna Devarayas, the, the Vijayanagara Empire was started by him. And at that time, there was a lot of turmoil. The Kilji dynasty they had come down, they destroyed the Hoysala Empire, the Pandya Empire, destroyed the Madurai Temple, lots of temples and Sri Lankan Temple, everything was being destroyed. So people were leaderless and uh, there was so much confusion and that time Vidyaranya was a student in a Vedantic school in Kanchipuram and uh, so his teacher said every all his, he asked all his students okay what do you want to do everybody was going for similar things I want to go into this one and go for self-realization and so on Vidyaranya on the sense said no I also want to do something similar but I cannot accomplish that unless I see betterment around around me and when there's so much turmoil going around me I cannot uh, that it'll be too selfish of me for seeing my own self-realization if I don't see the betterment of people around me. So he's that's where he started the movement and he introduced uh, two soldiers, the Hakka Buka, and started the Vijayanagar Empire and then rest is history. So what I'm trying to say here is uh, self-realization is an ultimate goal, beautiful selfless goal, but it is still selfish in my opinion if uh, the person is not unable to solve the immediate uh, suffering around him. Well said, well said. And incidentally, since you mentioned Vidyaranya, just a side aside before I, I can request Ajay to talk about the, the thing. Vidyaranya is formed out of two words. Vidya Aranya. Aranya is forest. Vidya is knowledge. So he was a forest of knowledge. And incidentally, he was a very powerful uh, minister or something in the Hoyasala kingdom, I think. And so... And later on, he goes on to write a very, very famous Vedantic work called as Panchadashi. And Panchadashi is a chapter, 15, 15 books, Panchadashi, 15 books of uh, topics on Vedanta. And uh, uh, each one is self-contained in a particular topic. Each, If you read one, that's good enough. It's, you don't have to read the rest 14. That's how it is. And uh, apparently, you know, all his examples, I have not yet read it. I've just begun Panchadashi chapter one. All his examples are really, really practical examples because he does not come from that pure, uh, quote-unquote, uh, you know, uh, non-practical aspect of the gyan. But all his examples apparently are related to the day-to-day -day examples, what people would have experienced. And uh, so maybe it will be much more relatable to all of us. So, Ajay. Yeah, no, I was just uh, trying to kind of reflect on the Mercedes example. Uh, the question... Uh, should be why do I buy the Mercedes? Is it because uh, I can afford it and it's more comfortable and it's helpful to my children because you know it's it's, it's better car? That's one way to think about it. The other is because it is 
more sort of, uh, it, it, it aligns with my status, it boosts my ego, my neighbor, you know, it gets envious of me. So there, there could be different reasons why you buy the buy that, you know, expensive car, right? And the question to ask is the desire, if you will, of for the Mercedes is okay, as long as it's for, uh, for not, not, not to hurt others or not to kind of bring out this whole 2KLM2 sort of aspects uh, uh, in, in those around you, but it is for your own, own good. And equally, it should not be a problem if you are not in a Mercedes model, right? So I, I, like, I, I like sort of, I'm, I'm a big admirer of Azim Premji, who is obviously a very wealthy man. He obviously does a lot of philanthropy, but he actually, uh, you know, doesn't drive a expensive, uh, you know, car. He travels, uh, he's happy to travel business class or economy, depending on sort of who he's traveling with, for example. So if he has got colleagues traveling, he will actually travel in economy because he's got no sort of qualms about doing that. So I think the desires are okay, as long as you're not kind of hurting others or you're not doing it to, you know, show that you are bigger than somebody else or somebody else is smaller than you. Alpana? Yeah, no, I think uh, when I was earlier trying to speak was uh, on the Shloka 70 and 71. Actually, they talk about the same desire thing from two contradictory angles. So one says that all the rivers they pour into the ocean. So even if you pour all the desires into the enlightened being, the enlightened being is not disturbed. So I think that's what I, you know, most of us were trying to, to say the same thing to respond to it. But even the, the, the Shloka 70 says the same thing that, uh, that you can do anything uh, by which the conscience doesn't rebel and the mind is tranquil. So, so that's being equated to, you know, all the rivers pouring into ocean and ocean not getting disturbed with, with any of it. So it doesn't, it doesn't become any more or any less by, by that. So that's the way that even if there are desires, if you can be absolutely calm, whether they're fulfilled or not fulfilled, it's fine. And then the next shloka goes on to say that you, if you can have no desires. So I think those are two, two different ways for the same enlightened being. Either you pour them, it will be fine, or you give up the desires, it will be fine. So, so I thought, you know, the, the answer was in these two shlokas itself. Yeah. Nice, nicely said. I'm it's still the debate, the debate that I want to trigger here is basically, you know, at the end of the day, you know, talking about a Mercedes or some quote unquote object is much more easier about whether we desire, it won't hurt anybody to make some, to make, not to make somebody jealous. I buy it. All those things is fine. But think about those desires that come when we are in a relationship, right? Going back to Shamala's argument from last week, right? The desire to have, quote unquote, your child to do something. Is that fair to have? Is that right to have? Is that wrong to have? And should we use the same parameter like what Alpana, you just not described? You know, it, it really should not matter whether that thing happens to the happens or not happens, then it is fine as long as you have that uh, that attitude, that then the desire is fine. So what do you guys think about it? Hey Guntax, can you hear me? I'm also outside. Yes. Okay. Uh, thanks. So, uh, incidentally, I was just listening to one lecture uh, by Swami Ji, and in the and he was explaining 
something from the Taittiriya, which says that uh, where the guru tells the student before before uh, he sends him or her away to uh, Ragastha Ashrama. And he says that uh, go and, you know, uh, go and apply everything that you have learned in this ashram uh, over the next uh, so many years until you exhaust all your desires. And then you will realize that all of that is, is good, but that's not the ultimate goal anyway. And then you can come back to, you know, when you, when you have that realization, then you will start letting go of all the desires. So I think, uh, and, and part of that is also the advice to propagate uh, through having children. So um, I've been actually thinking about it and I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, uh, it's probably in, in the DNA of species to propagate and so forth, right? And that's kind of what the, the teachings themselves are saying, saying it's, it's a practical way and that's the way of life and so on and so forth. So you do that. In the process, you're going to realize that the Mercedes and the children and whatever it may be, over time, you're going to realize that that's not the ultimate goal. So just wanted to add that thought. Yeah. Okay. Muku. Yeah. Thanks, Ajesh. Uh, so I think all this desire discussion, the way at least the, the way I understand this, it's the context of the identity that is desiring. That's really the kind of the focus, right? For example, I need Mercedes because uh, I need to show to the world I am wealthy. It's kind of one context, right? Uh, then, then there's an identity of poverty, right? That is associated, and you're trying to disprove or, or by showing having Mercedes on your identity, you're trying to break the identity of poverty that you are inside carrying, right? That's kind of the well. That's what I mean by the context of the identity, right? Versus if you know you are like a trillionaire, right? You have access to a trillion dollar resource, right? If you if identity is that I have all the access to all the resources in the world, I'm a, I'm a, like a billionaire or a trillionaire, right? Then you can still buy a Mercedes, but they still can have a Mercedes because you just like the car, right? Then it's okay. So I think really the, the key is the context of the identity from which the desire is coming, right? Um, I mean, even sometimes I heard the word, you know, higher cost, right? higher costs uh, for what? I mean, higher cost because somebody needs to praise you as a leader, then again, it's not, it's not the right desire, right? Higher cost for the sake of higher cost, where nothing, nothing adds to you. Because from the context that you already are complete, you're fulfilled, nothing can add on to you. Any desire, any action that becomes, seems like a desire is okay. Uh, but anything that comes from a lower identity uh, is not okay. That's kind of how I, at least I, I think about it when, when the desires. No, well, well said. You know, I, I just watched a movie yesterday called Gori Tere Pyar Me. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, Karishma Kapoor, Imran Khan movie, where, uh, you know, Karishma Kapoor is from a very wealthy family, but she's going behind environmentalist kind of, uh, you know, uh, causes and all that. And this guy is one totally selfish guy and, you know, they, they match up together and, 
there's this face off between both of them where she keeps on rubbing rubbing him in the wrong side saying that you are selfish you are selfish and all that and one fine day he gives it back to her saying that you, you know do you think you know all your uh, uh, campaigns and all those things uh, you uh, you are able to make a big difference but it's all just show off for you you just want to uh, show off that you know you are running for a bigger cause but in at the end of the day you are the typical punjabi girl well fed and all that stuff you know he says that and she actually takes it to heart and she goes out to a small village and starts living there and finally the story goes on so it's a beautiful movie you should watch it very funny movie though vivek so you know i wanted to uh, i think um, uh, who who was it before i think shri talked about this before and and uh, just now uh, was mentioned about the context of desire um so i think rajesh you had uh, introduced a movie which i saw over the last few days uh called um bad blood about about uh, theronus uh, this this uh, this this lady this young lady called holmes i think was her name um so so in there a psychologist talks about this very good experiment which is important uh, i think it is relevant for our discussion so he talks about you know they give people this this dye to throw and they say that you know focus on either either the top number or the bottom number and we'll give you so many dollars um and people started cheating because we can see that you know if if you if top is 1 bottom is 6 so one time they say okay i got i'm focusing on the bottom numbers so number 6 next time you know 2 and 5 5 is on top they said no oh, i'm i'm not. so they go for they, they start cheating on whether it's uh, uh, top they're not consistent and the lie detector picks that up they try to lie detector but then they said they'll give all the money to charity their their favorite charity and then uh, when when they when they did people were still cheating but the lie detector did not pick it up because uh, the way he explains it is that actually once we decide that we're doing cheating for good uh, a charity will get that money uh, then we you know that the, the lie detector picks up the tension of you know doing something being aware of doing something wrong and doing something wrong uh, but once we decide that something what we are doing is good uh, it has a higher purpose uh, then doing something wrong doesn't seem that bad the body doesn't signal that any longer uh, and and that was his theory of what has happened in theranos so you know this is a, what i want to say is this is a slippery slope if you try to say that you know desire is part of <coughs> is okay if the context is is you know something generous or or altruistic yeah for those of you who are not following uh, that trial elizabeth elizabeth holmes the the jury is just being uh, set up i think tuesday it starts you should follow that trial in case you really want to understand what's happening to desire for from from a from a vedantic perspective that trial is going to be interesting okay uh, guns we still have your hand up is it have you finished what you had to say or i'm somehow lost my uh, host privileges so i can't uh, put on the hands okay so looks like guns you already spoke so hey sorry yeah 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 i i did speak i was just uh, saying that uh, and this is several of you answered uh, those questions on the desire itself and the I was trying to get to the root of the desire. So Alpana's graph was helpful, and then the uh, some of the confirmations you gave was helpful. So um, 
I also felt that this thing is 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 a cycle, right? And whether we believe in reincarnation or not, this cycle is going to exist, whether we desire it to be existing or not. No pun intended. Um, so getting out of that cycle is probably the goal. Um, but we're going to live the cycle. It's just a. Um, I know that our desire should be to get rid of desire itself, but but it's going to be there. So we need to figure out how to handle it and how to get out of that cycle. Nicely said. So I guess that I guess that the conclusion seems to be desires are okay. There's a gradation of desires, and be aware of what what is the what is the context from which the desires you want to fulfill them. Yeah, I think, and we can go back to that statement that you know you can do anything by which your conscience doesn't rebel. So I think even to your point about the kids, you know. if you think you will be okay even if they turn don't turn out to be okay you can leave them but i doubt we will be right we wouldn't be able to sleep well so you have to have some you know you can call them desire or some desire to keep them on some you know, some track so no alpana i mean uh, what you said makes sense but here is a here's a confusion but right? there is always a thin line between not wanting something for the children versus putting them on the right path right there's a dichotomy i do not know how to resolve that particular dichotomy it's probably personal for each one of us but i think the very fact that we recognize that you know uh, this is a this is my desire that i'm putting it on my child versus this is good for the particular child although you know sometimes we we intermingle both of them together you know and uh, i mean when i say we some parents do most parents do i do not know but uh, you know as long as apna apna opinion unke upar thopne ke you know nahi thopna hai then it's okay that's what i'm 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 trying to get in my head right and trying yeah, to get trying, trying to see confirmation from you guys whether that's the right thing or not not the right thing you know absolutely so, you know, what i was trying to say was that uh, that those kind of it, it's not again a right wrong question right as you as you rightly said that you know <laughs> it's a it's okay to do it but it's okay to even leave as well if we can <laughs> yeah sorry go ahead okay. um so what she brought up and what you guys were just discussing about you know what do we do with our kids right when to say what and what not to say um i just wanted to share what i heard this past weekend um so we some of us uh, five girls went out for dinner and we were talking about another friend of ours um then who's uh, it, it it's a situation where i felt i felt really miserable when i came out of that uh, night and for two days i i just couldn't i'm just in still in that thought so i just wanted to share um and quickly i will say that our friend's son who is a marine and um got into this alcoholic uh, you know being an alcoholic um the so first time he he was driving he 
almost killed a person uh, so he, he was given a warning the second time he did the same thing he killed a person and he's in 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 prison for 15 years and we see dan every day right we we work with him um but i only got to know we knew something is not okay with with the with his son um and i have met his other son and other daughter uh, but don't know about this this particular one until i just heard 2 3 days ago and i was just thinking what could we do to prevent such things and how many such people are you know going through um issues like this it's like neither he died but he's he's still there in 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 the prison so how would dan feel and you know all these things came to my mind and what do we do to you know we see our small things of our kids not achieving this and that but this is like huge right how can we prevent how can we make people not desire certain things to go into you know um, such uh, to me it is uh, such you know adverse condition um, so i just wanted to bring that up and you know maybe listen to some of you how to you know come out of this kind of situation yeah i, I this muku uh, i always think that the bhagavad gita and, and the scriptures from india um are the only scriptures that i am aware of that gives this higher angle about who you are right the kind of concept of identity um, so it's really i mean everybody you know and just spread this knowledge right tell them this exists to me always the way i almost like look at look at it is like the western civilization world view or the rest of the bulk of the world view is it's almost like you're being blind or color color blind whereas uh, if you look at the scriptures from india it opens a completely new dimension uh, of identity which does not exist in the narrative or understanding or science or curriculum or anywhere else so it's almost like you are given only one path in the western civilization you know you look for outside for fulfillment if you're not fulfilled you are you go into a depression right that's the only path uh, so you were mm-hmm. i i would ask here let's say this was the same situation happened in india how would you do um the same same thing because people are not giving even india's lost is as good as any other country now right to the western the schools i mean i was brought up that way right i mean i was not given a bhagavad gita till i was like 30s mid 30s right i have never seriously took a reading of that right i mean we all were brought into that world i think once british education came a lot of the fundamental got started eroding and it is a lot worse now in india and at least we will hear somewhere in friend circle this and that but now i believe that's also the media i'm seeing it's i'm, I'm really feel bad for india now i think it's losing its its foundation slowly so i agree with you to uh, spread the word but uh, what can we do as you know a small baby steps to to at least with at least with our kids and how that non desireless um expression yeah, or bring these discussions into i always say bring these discussions into dining table discussions right because it's that's all it is kids don't do what you tell them kids do what you do right, right. and suddenly will be something will just get pick their interest and you you never know i mean see the the, the, the 
the identity, this, I mean, we're all big words we're using, but essentially it's a science of happiness and joy. Right? That's fundamentally all the Indian scriptures or Hinduism talks about is science of happiness, science of fulfillment. And every being is intuitively full to, full to fulfillment, this idea, right? So it's not logical. You just start just scattering it around the house, right? And then you will see, uh, just put some, put some books here, there, they can read, right? Just, just be visible in the house. Don't make it your closet, closet reading. And then, you know, it will happen. Bring it as a discussion table, like what we are doing now, right? And bring it up and, hey, Krishna says that in Bhagavad Not like a, not like a, teaching, right? Not like a pedagogy, but more of a discussion. That's I generally seen works with, with, uh, with my son too. It's more of a discussion, not necessarily trusting an idea down his throat. Yeah, totally agree to that. Um, but I have questions like how, how do we talk to other people non, not in your group? How do we talk to them and how do we express this? Hey, so uh, Vidya, this Guns uh, again. Um, I'm outside and there's some background noise, so forgive me for that. The uh, in in our company, we have a thing called uh, Type One and Two and Three experiences. So um, basically, Type One experience, it, it's it's all geared towards how do we change ourselves and our culture as a company to become a better company. Okay, so it's, it's directly applicable and I completely agree with what uh, Mukund was saying. You know, make it very practical. And the type one experience, as we call it, is when we talk about ourselves. So if we talk about our own experiences and our own ways we dealt with it or or the consequences and punishments that we suffered, then people, then it becomes a lot more credible. If we just start becoming very preachy and nobody sees any actions that we ourselves are following, then it's just wasted. So yeah, I totally agree. I think the mm-hmm. biggest thing is to give everybody a type one experience. And if we are not following it, then uh, shame on us, right? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm trying to ask is maybe I'm not very clear is what can you do in such situations? You know, you, you know the person very well and how can you reach out and how can you explain or how can you help that child? You know, those are the things. Of course, prayers are there. We, we pray, but is there anything more we can do is where I'm going. Uh, Vidya, this is a guy. Uh, can you hear? Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, so, what you have uh, gone through or what you have heard is really uh, touching and uh, really hard to digest. Right? How I deal with such situations and when I go through those is, you know, is that how I find. Uh, uh, you know, how I come to peace with uh, such happenings is that when a person goes through these kind of things, they are compensating for something that happened to them in the past, right? So what is going to happen perhaps is that they are neutralizing something that they did for which they are compensating, right? So 
you know, it's very hard for us to change the entire world. Yeah. And some of these happenings are just that, right? They're just compensating for what they have done in the past. And we sitting in our, this thing, you know, we need to recognize that that is what, that is the phenomenon that is playing out, right? And uh, yeah, as much as we would like to prevent, uh, you know, everybody from becoming an alcoholic, it is, it, it is not in our hands. We do not, we are not yet in that position to be able to control and manage everything, right? So that's how I, uh, you know, I come to peace with these things when they happen, right? Uh, so that's my two cents. Chitra? Uh, that's very good. Uh, the peace is there, but is there something else we can do? That, that's where I was going, but you're absolutely right. I think uh, whatever the past karma or they, they are, I, I won't say they deserve, but what they need to go through, they are going go, to go, go through that. But is there something else that um, and this is prompting me because of what Sri started saying that Vidyaranya was doing more than what he, he was desiring to do. His desires were different. And that's where the, you know, the, uh, the thought is coming to my mind. So Vidya, let's hear from Chitra and Ajay. They have also raised their hands. Sure. So yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, one is um, obviously we cannot, as I think a lot of people have said, we can't control everything, obviously. I mean, I think that's a very obvious statement. But um, I, I feel uh, we need to understand uh, first, um, why is someone being drawn uh, towards you know, substances that are going to take them away from their um, in the present situation, right? Um, and if you look back uh, at our education, what has happened is our education from the time we were being educated to now, uh, more and more and more stress is being given on how much knowledge can you gain, right? So that means there's a lot of mental knowledge going on. And uh, the amount of time given uh, for any other expression is reducing. Uh, amount of time given for self-reflection. Oh, you know, today my friend hurt me. Um, I felt bad. Can I go home? Can I talk to my mother? Or can I go uh, talk to my friend? You know, that, that space or that time is reducing because all of us seem to be running almost like we don't have time. You know, we're, we're constantly on the move. So what has happened in this in this? Uh, scenario is uh, uh, children are now not able to uh, handle anything, uh, any small problem because they have not uh, built up this constitution of self-reflection of saying, oh, you know what, I was hurt, but it's okay. It went away after a couple of days. So this too shall pass or small kind of, uh, you know, things you build as children 
uh, unknowingly. See, we built it up because uh, um, our uh, surroundings were such that we we were we were let out a lot. We met friends on the street. You know, we were not like constantly having go. Oh, you go to school after school. School is like back to back to back. After that, you you go. Then you have this class. After that, this class. After that, that class. And then they are tired and they go to sleep. Right. But we had a lot of free time, uh, which is which I think is what's happening is it's taking away that sense of uh, how do I deal because life is never going to be all the time up, yeah. So that's the first thing I wanted to say was it's it's a big change that needs to come about in in education and also in us uh, as parents, uh, not to constantly being. Uh, um, thinking about you know is this is this useful work or is this work that is uh, because for, for us it might not look like useful work but it is useful in a certain manner it's the first point and the second point that i wanted to bring was <clears throat> uh, we might uh, actually i have gone through a similar experience myself and my family and what i have learned from this is um, we can only help if they ask for help, otherwise we cannot help. First, um, uh, second, uh, if if they are not asking for help and if we still feel we need to do something, then it has to be done in a um, uh, in a manner that works for us, um, but it's not obvious to them. So I think that's when you know you have prayers, you have uh, thoughts. Uh, you discuss uh, or you discuss like you're bringing this here, right? Just the fact that you brought Dan into this big fo uh, forum, there are a lot of people thinking about Dan and all this energy will now go to Dan and then something will open up in her. I'm assuming it's a her or a him. I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, so, um, so, so the second point I want to bring was we uh, help can be only given when they are willing to or they're open to receive it. Till then we have to step back and we can only um, work on ourselves as to, um, okay, I am feeling disturbed. Why am I feeling disturbed? And what can I do with this feeling of disturbance? That's the only extent that we can work with ourselves. Uh, and I forgot the third point, I'm sorry. But yeah, so in basically, in a nutshell, a lot of things have to change with us also. We all need to slow down. We all need to give our children time to do silly things, things that don't make sense, because that's that's when they are you're giving time for them for self-reflection or uh, understanding their emotions or working with their emotions, uh, which I feel over the ages it's reducing as we are uh, becoming a very um, I don't know, competitive world, maybe. So, <laughs> okay. Well said, uh, Chitra. I think I like the part that where you said if you can't, if you if you can't, you know, directly help them, at least pray. I really like that part. So let's hear Ajay Mukud. Looks like this topic has triggered a lot of interest in people to explain. So love to hear from Ajay Mukud now. I think what Chitra you said was was spot on. I think you know we just need to be empathetic the same time not be intrusive and uh, you know uh, and again Uday I think you made a very valid point I, I find a lot of answers in this dharmic cycle uh, you know, thing because and we go through it in our own sort of way you know maybe not as as big as Dan 
but we all go through our sort of uh, you know disappointments and surprises and pain and all the suffering and at the end of the day i mean the karmic cycle to me is my sort of go to because i know you know there's something that's kind of happened in the past for which uh, which is kind of manifesting today and that all that we can do is to control our our, our present to make sure that the future is better right uh, so i think that's kind of an important point but it certainly kind of brings me to a question and i know this is dan i'm assuming is is western uh, it brings me to this point about you know why does modern science and psychology and western culture sort of refuse to accept this concept of who am i or witness consciousness i i've never sort of uh, i mean this is something i haven't read enough about so maybe there is a good reason but is this because of religious bias that it is a different sort of uh, religious uh, point of view or philosophical point of view or or is it something else because they seem to kind of uh, you know at a, at a at a peripheral level they seem to understand the concept of karma the karma is something you know kind of you know that cycle of karma people sort of get it not in the same depth as our scriptures obviously point out but they don't seem to uh, either be interested in or or understand what you know for us you know having sort of spent some time now seems like a pretty simple and uh, even at an intellectual level i mean the western philosophers are very you know very intellectual right so why is it that you know they are they refuse to understand or accept this point of view ajay ajay wait 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 before we trigger off that that thought and branch off somewhere you know let's hear mukund dan saying something about dan hey so i think the 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 way you expressed it right i mean you 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 felt a lot of pain um so i think it's okay to introduce if you feel something's going to help right uh, i mean there are a lot of cases where i mean if you just google bhagavad gita helping people right um like somebody was going to commit suicide and you know he just picked up a bhagavad gita in the hotel and then it just changed his life right similarly you can see many places because bhagavad gita is one of the scriptures that's pretty well understood in the west uh, feel like upanishad vedas will go people will go lost it's okay to just be a little bit of an activist because we are not i think a lot of times we are hesitant to bring up this in a conversation at work because we think this is religion this is not a religion this is life science right it's a science of happiness it's okay to just you know bring it up because your context is to you feel the pain you're trying to alleviate right and i just hey i'm going to introduce this this is kind of a, another aspect of life and just gift of gita right there's nothing wrong with that i believe you'll be so surprised the receptiveness you will see in people uh, it's just our our bias that it's a religion and i'm trying to spread whatever right that's a lot of this bs has happened in the indian, indian school system uh, that's what is preventing it's just to be, be feel free to give give bhagavad gita give a context um, and you know if nothing happens you know the, the book lies in their house for 6 years and gets thrown away you know but somebody will read it uh, that's how it works <laughs> well said buku alpana and krishna have to two hands there yeah no i just wanted to say that uh, i mean it's a very very sad situation but at core if you can still believe that there's nothing wrong meaning even they are intrinsically not suffering it's just the you know the, the mind and the body which is reacting to you know certain situation i think that will bring peace not only to you um when you speak with them even in general it will bring calmness to them just your belief that they are actually fine i like that 
thank you yeah uh, the only con- uh, contemplation i had alpana there was when uh, and maybe it's just me it's when you feel that you, you are brahman everybody is brahman every yeah. not living and non living um every entity is brahman at that time when you have that calmness and we are, when you're talking about this and if they are they are still not able to re- receive it um that's when i feel that you know maybe i'm not able to reach them so it's again you know i'm i'm reflecting on myself that i am not able to re- reach them so maybe it's that i that is coming in uh, but still you know i'm not fully totally into that maybe in, into that concept of um brahman probably and that's why i have all these maybe fears and things like that uncertainty um but but i see where you are going like your conviction plus needs to be 100% right? 100% correct right because it's not there if you are doubting it yeah, yeah yeah so so have that and it will help it help everyone yeah. it yeah. help bring peace and calm in everyone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. krishna oh uh, so mine was more triggering on the point of what ajay mentioned about scientific methods western philosophy versus eastern philosophy if i can will park no will park will park that sounds good will park that sorry because that's going to go a little off track but we'll finish off this this discussion and then anybody anybody else has any thoughts on uh, on on this uh, case study i think it's like a very good summary of chapter 2 in terms of karma yoga and practice practice of sankhya yoga and karma yoga apply, applied in real life so oh, um this book one comment on uh, i think what just alpana also said about doubt uh, so what my experience is that if you if your heart believes in something right sometimes the word does not matter right if if you think this will help just from a very strong just a emotional it's just a heart purely at the heart you just could sit with the person and hold hand the healing will transpire it doesn't need words so so point is you know just a doubt no doubt if you just feel convinced the hearts one some idea that you resonated that helped with your life to reconcile or to bring situation just sit with the person and share it and you can share it in tamil for all you care the person will just get healed you'll be you'll be surprised uh, because it's what transmits is the energy it's not the words words play less than 5% of the process that that's a struggle with the children right we we can ask we using words yeah uh, never work with them just the heart yeah. the heart is what the matters the most the so just don't people. hesitate you know just hold hands and 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 share what you found and any language you share it will just get moved looks like chitra remembered the third point so let's hear that now <laughs> no i don't remember the third point but um just a thought came to me another thing that uh, works is if you um, sit with that thought in meditation um you will find what needs to be done it will come to you um and most of the time i think a lot of people i see are nodding their heads is uh, even for small things if you really uh, really sit with that question and go into meditation um you know your your soul is going to give you the right path that you need to take and what what are the, what needs to be done you know to uh, and what is your role in this uh, drama right i mean that i think that's what you're searching for is what is my role in this 
in this picture uh, i'm connected to this drama and what do i do in this picture and you will you will get that clarity yeah exactly thanks yeah i and just want to just kind of you know um, uh, just want to share my thought how many of you remember the movie uh, titanic long time back it came right so if you remember this there's a scene when the boat is sinking and a lot of people are falling off and they're dying and there this this violinist who just keep playing violin or you know that uh, uh, trombone or whatever that is cello or whatever you know when i first when i saw that movie first i was wondering you know why the hell these guys have to play violin at this time you know they were can't they go and save the people right but the point is the latest subtle point what i realized is that they know that the best right they know that the best and they are doing the best in the worst situation what they are seeing around them and it is that that is the talent what the god has bestowed onto them to do that irrespective of what it is so that is in my view you know they were trying to they know that they were just a cog in the whole wheel they know that you know whatever they do they are not going to save the entire humanity in the in the titanic ship sinking but they want to give that give that help to that person for whom music works right likewise there was a priest who comes and tells you know the last right prayer or whatever to some person who is dying and all those people holding hands and no isn't it stupidity when you look at it first at the first instance but actually it is not so the the point what i'm trying to say is that in respect to what the situation is we need to think back what are my unique talents in this situation that i can do and just do it very well said raj i think vidya you got an overload of suggestions <laughs> oh no i am very clear <laughs> no no that's no. vidya you have a you have an action item you are going to please summarize this for us in the middle group <laughs> <laughs> there was one blog that you were supposed to you will summarize but we are still waiting for that the two three uh, discussions back <laughs> i know i will Please get to fine. it <laughs> well summary summary is uh, what uh, da- uh, i shouldn't say i should say mukund mukund alpana chitra and uh, finally you said that summarizes everything um, and uh, uday um, said a very good thing that you can't do much what has happened has happened so that that was very clear um, but he reiterated that to me but what alpana said is the conviction that you have to build in and um, what um, chitra said is to make sure that you know whatever talent you have start with that and which rajesh you reiterated and um, alpana you said it whole that you have to have that conviction i think that's where it goes in more and the more we practice the more easily we can talk about it and take action fantastic so that's uh, with that maybe you know we should go pick pick ajay's question in the next 9 minutes and figure out so krishna over to you ajay uh, can we go back to the point that you made where uh, about kids my favorite topic uh, how do we know you know how much of our thoughts how much of our views are we really insisting or force fitting into the way they are living 
how do we check ourselves on that is a question that I continue to grapple with. Are you, I think the measure is very simple. I think a lot of people mentioned if we are agitated that our children are not following something that we've told them, then I think we are, we are imposing that. If you are not agitated, I think it should be fine. And another thing is if you're expecting uh, expecting something to happen. So you're expecting your child is going to follow or you're expecting uh, you know, a result out of what you have said. Then that also, I think, uh, um, then if you don't get the, get the result, then you're going to keep saying that again and again. Yeah, almost as simple as, you know, if you want your child to maybe finish the milk first thing in the morning, a very silly example. So <laughs> you're expecting the child to finish, right? So you, all you can do is you can leave the milk there. And if they don't finish it for three days continuously, it's a, it's a signal for you that you need to back off. And, you know, they need to figure it out themselves. So something to that extent is um, we also have to see what, what is our expectation from what we are saying. Are we expecting them to follow it? And if they're not following it, that means we know that, okay, it's not resonating with them. It could be the most beautiful wisdom that we are passing on. Doesn't matter. <laughs> They're not resonating with it. No, so they are not resonating, right? How do you, do you really take a step back when they are not drinking? Where does your responsibility stop? Uh, isn't our responsibility to kind of make those good habits? Oh, that I don't think you have to worry. They, all human beings know what what they need to have to survive, at least, <laughs> at least in terms of food. <laughs> um, there's a saying, right, that you, um, if the child doesn't eat for one day, two days, the third day they will come and eat. Yeah, they I know not about the food, Jitra, but the, I think I'm taking that as an example, right? When you said a glass of milk, that's a food is an example. When they do it, when they don't do it, you know, whether it could be a screen time, a particular good, nice little habit that we think they should develop. I guess the question is a generic one as to where do you stop? Where do, when you say back off, where do you stop? Where, is, where does our responsibility stop and then their responsibility for their own lives start kicking in? After the age of seven or eight, that's what the scriptures say. After the age of seven or eight or nine or something, you know, Treat them equal, and when they reach your shoulder size, let them be. Oh, I was being generous. I said 25. After 25, it ends because the Grahastha Ashram starts after that. So <laughs> they are on their own. That's your Mumta speaking, Alpal. <laughs> yeah, I think for Indian parents, it's more like 50, I think. At <laughs> least. Yeah, because my mom still does it. So I know till. It's never years, ending so. for Indian parents. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, I can only speak my experience. Yeah. But Shamla, uh, just one point. I mean, I think uh, what Chitra said about expectation, I think that is again at the root cause because expectations then lead to becoming agitated, right? And when you are agitated, it shows on the other person. Right, and when the when the agitation shows on the other person, that person then, at least in sort of my experience, you know, they tend to kind of get uh, get more adamant, right? Because they see uh, they see the expression of that uh, you know expectation not being filled, and you know we end up giving them more more sort of uh, gyan. Uh, so I think backing off, and I think 
you know, kind of waiting for, you know, doing the right thing, of course, you know, keep sort of putting the milk on the table in this example. But, uh, but you know, ha but staying calm is, I think, paramount because the moment we start to push, they will push back. And I mean, we've all sort of experienced it in, in, in our own ways, I'm sure. Right. So clearly, I mean, our duty is to kind of obviously have our mind to doing what is what needs to be done. But uh, respect their individuality, and uh, you know, if it is seven or eight, you know, after that, you know, you, you know, you've got to deal with them on equal terms, almost. Yeah, instruction to suggestion works. I think it may take time, but it works. Yes, for a longer period of time. All right. It's in that context. I mean, I think the the you know the I mean, reflecting on on two dot seventy, it's actually a great summary of. Sthita Pragna, because Sthita Pragna is nothing but two words, right? One is Purnatvam, and the second is Samatvam, right? And if you look at the ocean, it is Purnatvam in all respects. I mean, any water comes in, evaporates, it still stays there. It is full, right? And if you think about it from a Samatvam point of view, I mean, other than sort of a, a storm or a high tide, if you leave the, those things out, the ocean is very calm. It doesn't sort of, you know, care about sort of what's happening around it. I mean, the water is there, it will be there. It doesn't sort of have any, any sort of ups and downs in that respect. So this example of 70 of the ocean uh, is, is actually very powerful as a summary to the whole sort of uh, sequence of, uh, you know, 18 odd shlokas, which is around Sita Pragnya and it kind of all comes down to Samatvam on one hand and Purnatvam on the other. Yep. Totally agree, Ajay. That was, that's the best uh, shloka I like. In I love that. I really love it. It's, it's, uh, it's something which I, I, I picked up only because it has a different uh, meter. Uh, yeah. what, what, what is it, Krishna? Trishtuk meter. Yeah. So it's a different meter. So I was kind of wondering why is it, because these meter change apparently are to emphasize uh, from Vyasacharya. It's like, you know, we make it bold or italics, they change the meter because obviously it's only heard, right? And so I was trying to kind of get into the detail of it. And I found that sort of really, really powerful. And interestingly, think about it, you know, the entire Mahabharata fight was happening between all the children, great grandchildren, grandchildren of Vyasacharya and Vyasacharya was just writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, Alpana, I see your hand raised. So again, two snippets from uh, Swami SPG. Uh, one is uh, Sthitapragya. He calls uh, Sthitapragya, they are like uh, children, but not stupid. So I think if we, if we are trying to change the children, we need to take just the stupidity of it. So maybe that's just our, our, our part of responsibility. And then the second thing actually is from the last shlok. And I did want to highlight that so that we don't miss it. So this is the second part of the first line. So once you are enlightened, then this delusion will not come back. And uh, he goes back to explain that ignorance is beginningless. That means it is never born. So when the ignorance is removed, that means it has died. So it, for it, it to come back, it should be born again. So it's never born. It's it's beginningless. So it's never born. So once you are enlightened, this uh, this confusion, this delusion will never come back. So we can be rest assured of that. I think yeah, those are the two things which I thought. 
this highlight from. Okay, Krishna. And on that same note, in the last loka, it says, "Stitva sam antakale api." So that's like in the last moment. Also, if you do this, uh, you will get Brahma Nirvanam. And like I've read multiple swamis reiterate, that's like not a loophole. It's not like I can live any way I want, and then in the last moment, somehow I will snap into this. Everything is Brahman mode, and then I will get uh, everything. Uh, I think the emphasis is like you. The last moment thoughts are from the, what the scripture says, formed on how you have lived majority of your life. So it's like this constant practice, constant realization, and being in that siddha pragna mode is the one that is going to be the final example that's going to stay in the last moment, and that is what. is actually meant here so a lot of people funnily take it to be like a oh, it's like this nice loophole uh, and then there is the same thing i think in chapter 8 also the talkers oh like this purnaina uh, utraina dakshinaina related thing and that's also again not left anything to chance it's like how you live your whole life that actually uh, ends up mattering fantastic so we are right on 731 am here just, so just uh, one point uh, rajesh if i wanted to make about uh, sthita pragna and uh, Ranjini and Vidya will relate to this. Uh, you know about the point that you don't have an ego, right? And there's a nice example of a musician or a singer, right? When they are when they're performing, they become unaware of their ego because if they become aware of what they're doing, then the flow breaks. And I don't know if Ranjini and Vidya whether that you can you know that makes sense. But you know you do it in a way where you are totally sort of immersed in what you are doing. right which is a similar thing to what would happen with a sthita pragna where you know there is no ego i mean they are just in a different zone if you will much like you know a performer so i found that sort of example uh, very nice from a sthita pragna point of view yeah somebody told me recently about the musicians hariprasad chaurasia apparently holds his flute in a different direction usually the flute is i believe to the right hand side of the people and they play it this way and uh, hari prasad chaurasi apparently used he plays it on the left side and there's a reason for that i believe i believe he first went to a teacher and he learned uh, uh, you know flute and uh, you know uh, then he thought he was a great musician and all that and then at some point you know that that teacher was not able to give him more so he went back to another teacher with whom he had started first but he could not uh, you know gel very well with that teacher that teacher said i'm going to make you unlearn everything because you know you are not the you not learned it right and uh, he made him place the side and do the the first notes initially and apparently that broke his ego completely and then he he became a fantastic uh, flautist later check that thing out about i i'm not 100% sure but this is what the story what i heard one quick last right. point rajesh go ahead again yes. Yeah, so just one last point. I mean, this is something which I kind of, you know, if you remember when we read Swami Dayananda Ji's book, there was this whole sort of thing around action and inaction and inaction and action, which is basically uh, what I call like a naughty thing. You know, it's naughty as in K N O W T Y, right? Uh, because it just kind of confuses confuses you like hell, right? I had a very similar thought when we when when I read this two dot sixty nine, which is around the night and day. I mean, it's a it's a mighty co- complex kind of thing, but it has resonance with the whole action and inaction and inaction in action so i'm sure we'll come to it i think in the karma yoga section i guess absolutely absolutely so that's a connection which i really kind of made from the another yeah. book navel said well said well said all right uh, 734 i think we're running pretty late today 
but just a quick thing next week uh, uh, we are summarizing the chapter 2 uh, gita completely right so my request would be each one of you please pick any shloka whatever two minutes one minute uninterrupted you can share your thoughts on that and we will just record that would that be okay with all of you sounds good fantastic fantastic so that will be great so and then of course uh, you know if we do have some time then we can delve into why the western psychology western uh, uh, is not looking at uh, you know gita as as a, is it more religion or is it more spirituality is it that they want to distance themselves from this kind of uh, structures and look at scientific approach we will discuss that and that i'm pretty sure there will be a lot of heated debate on that but we will do that in the later part of uh, uh, the gd the, the first part will will go with uh, with the alphabetical names of all our all, all of all, each one of us who joined that and uh, two or three minutes not more than that so we will do that i hope that will be okay do it in the reverse order sorry we do it in the reverse order <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just kidding <laughs> okay so with that you know we can uh, say our concluding prayer om sarve bhavantu sukhinaha sarve santu niramaya sarve bhadrani pashyantu ma kaschit dukha bhaga bhave om shanti शांति शांति श्री गुरुभ्यो नम हरि ओम तत्सत